Welcome to the AM Global Podcast Series addressing business concerns we face today. In this three part podcast series, we'll discuss the dramatic rise in the use of telehealth during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll touch on how organizations are dealing with strategic operations of telehealth, the legal, regulatory, and compliance risks needing to be addressed, as well as the future of medicine with virtual health now viewed as a viable and prominent feature of care delivery. Welcome back, and thank you for joining us for part three, The Future of Telehealth, part of our three-part series on telehealth. Today, I'm joined again by Dr. David Shulkin, former Secretary of the United States Department of Veterans Affairs. Dr. Shulkin is a senior advisor to our A&M Healthcare Industry Group. We're also joined by Dr. Lewis Levy, the Chief Medical Officer of Teladoc, a global leader in virtual health, and also Karen Davis, one of our managing directors. Karen recently helped stand up and expand a telehealth program at a large university health system. During this last part of our series, we're gonna discuss where telehealth or virtual health goes from here. I know all of us wish that the rate of infection and was going down rather than up right now with coronavirus and that we had done a, or were doing a better job at stemming the growth. But even with that, we are seeing some parts of the country where they had high rates of growth and now lower rates of growth and are seeing a more normalizing of their healthcare systems and getting back to in-office visits. Uh, and even in places where there are hotspots of the pandemic, physician offices are reopening. So I'd like to pivot lastly to where do we see telehealth, virtual health utilization, not just in the next couple of months as we have these ebbs and flows of, of hotspots the country that make more physician offices to temporarily suspend in-office visits, but even into the next six months, 18 months, hopefully as we get past this pandemic, you know, what should healthcare organizations be doing and thinking about in terms of telehealth and virtual health as a lasting part of their delivery system? And here I'm going to start with Dr. Shulkin because you ran one of the largest healthcare systems really in the world where virtual health was already a priority. And prior to that, you ran one of the largest healthcare systems on the East Coast. Where do you as a healthcare administrator, policymaker, where do you think that hospital systems and physicians should be focusing their efforts and thinking about virtual health, not just now during this pandemic where we really need it, but into the next year and five years? Peter, one of the things that we know about studying pandemics is, is that they tend to change society in permanent ways. They change them economically, they change them politically, sociologically, and also the way that you deliver healthcare. And what became evident in this pandemic, particularly with the rush of demand on hospital resources, we're seeing it now in different parts of the country, is that we really don't have a healthcare system. We have a very fragmented, siloed parts of a healthcare system. But when it took coordinating and matching resources with demand, uh, that didn't really happen so seamlessly. And so you had to build, you know, extra medical facilities and tents and bring in ships and bring in the military and 
And, you know, it was nail biting day by day. And we're beginning to see that again play out in the in in different parts of the country even today. So uh, telehealth, uh, I think, needs to be an important part of the way that we build this healthcare system in the future. I think what Dr. Levy said is going to be the key. Clinical decisions and, and taking care of patients is only part of the answer in redesigning a system. It has to be matched with a reimbursement strategy that makes sense as well. And so if we can continue to pay for and reward building a better system, integrating telehealth into that where it's needed to keep people in the right environment to match with the right professionals, that's the type of change coming out of this pandemic that's going to be a positive change. And so it's so encouraging to see that CMS is taking those types of reimbursement actions that they've signaled that they don't want this just to be on the emergency use basis, that they want to see the changes permanently. And it's going to take the provider community to really embrace that and to understand that this is not a replacement for what they do. This should be a way that they do business. This has to become a permanent part of the way that we build a healthcare system that works for the citizens in this country. And it can be done both with quality in mind, with patient demand in mind, but also with cost effectiveness in mind. And that's the system that I believe we're going to see come out of this. Thanks for that. So, Dr. Levy, Teladoc is a company which is committed to virtual health. That is your service line. That's what you do. What's your outlook and, and your company's outlook over the next year, into the next five years, of how we're going to see virtual health continue to be deployed in the healthcare system? Well, we certainly believe that the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of virtual care and put us probably where we would have been 10 years into the future. We have gone through this period of what many are calling forced innovation. So, so many of the doctor visits that have been delivered on virtual platforms are because of the pandemic. And the question that is on everyone's mind is really around the stickiness of this change. So in speaking to many physicians across the country, I do believe there is going to be considerable stickiness uh, to the new model. There's a pretty well-known expression in medicine that, you know, part of a delivery system is to be delivering the right care at the right time in the right place with the right provider. And I think that increasingly individuals are recognizing that the right place for the delivery of so much of care is a virtual place. It just makes sense if one is trying to manage one's diabetes, cholesterol, blood pressure, coronary artery disease, one needs adjustment of medications. Why that should be an office visit, I do believe, is quite anachronistic. And while these systems have been in place for many years, we know that in certain demographics, over 50% of individuals don't have a primary care provider, are not getting required screenings done in a timely fashion. So I do believe that the enhanced access, ease of use, as well as the medical quality of virtual care is really going to generate superior outcomes than our current system. So I totally agree with all the points that David made. We've got to slog through reimbursement issues, regulatory issues, 
to make sure that the gains that we've had through this pandemic continue to be gains that we can all enjoy in the years ahead. Karen Davis, I want to end here with just some of your insights. You've been so close to the ground with physicians and their adoption, some of it very quickly, some physicians who may not have really worked in this way, but they were really moved very quickly into working in this way. Where do you think they go from here, even if they're able to return to their offices, if not full-time, at least part-time? How do you think they're going to continue to respond to virtual health as part of their day-to-day practice? Thank you, Peter. I really believe that there will be a more robust acceptance of telehealth from the faculty and physicians around. What our physicians realized is that even as on-site visits began to return, they wanted to continue the integration of telehealth because those were visits that allowed them to be more efficient and to reach more patients. So it was the patient access. We saw the changes in the emergency department because many people were afraid to go during the initial onslaught of COVID, but many people use the emergency departments as their primary care, and it's due to access. Maybe it's their availability, the hours, and I think this will change what we've seen in the emergency departments, which I think will be very strong for hospitals. And then more importantly, as we talked about the the increased quality of care and that connection to the physicians, it's the cost standpoint for the hospitals because it's much less expensive to run the same number of televisits as it is to do on-site visits. But I think that that will become that cost shift, as Dr. Shulkin mentioned, in trying to deliver care and provide access to the patient. So... I believe that it is a strong acceptance and it will be a sustainable product for healthcare going forward. Peter, thank you for the opportunity to be on this podcast today with with Karen and with Lou. These are such great experienced people. But but I wanted to take advantage of your experience as well, knowing that you've served at the senior levels of government in this last administration at the Department of Health and Human Services. What are your feelings about where you think that telehealth is going to go and how the Department of Health and Human Services may take steps to ensure continued access to telehealth for all Americans after this crisis is over? Well, thanks, David. One of the things we were thinking about when I was at the department was how we could deploy virtual health and telehealth in rural communities, as you well know, Uh, Rural communities have seen their hospitals close. They've seen doctors leave. They just don't have the access to health care that they should have in rural communities. So we were very focused on how could we leverage uh, virtual health and telehealth in these rural communities. And something that I promoted very vigorously from a rural health task force that I was leading for the secretary. What we also tried to do was convince CMS that virtual health could be done in a way that didn't implicate fraud and abuse. The government is always worried that when you start something new, you start a new program, pay for something new, either in Medicare or Medicaid, that there's going to be overutilization. There's going to be overuse. And that's why I think CMS was reluctant for so long to expand payment for 
virtual visits, telehealth visits, however you want to name it. But I think the experience over the last couple of months have demonstrated that you can do this in a way where there's not overutilization, where there's not fraud involved. And most importantly, you can have good quality and have good outcomes. I mean, clearly, a virtual visit doesn't substitute for laying hands on a patient in a way that you can only do in an office or a clinic or in the hospital, but there's value there. So I'm hopeful that you know the current administration and future administrations will see value in this and will continue to pay for it because both of you doctors know and Karen, you know that our healthcare system, unfortunately, is driven in certain directions by what is paid for and what is not paid for. So if the federal government through Medicare and Medicaid and other federal payment programs encourage the use of virtual health, then private payers will follow. So again, my hope is that this continues as an effort in our healthcare system. Thank you for joining us for this three-part series on telehealth. Telehealth is a feature of healthcare delivery that has risen to prominence during the COVID-19 pandemic, and it appears it is here to stay. Thank you again to all of our insightful speakers who have provided interesting discussions and observations around key topics and challenges facing healthcare organizations in their implementation of virtual health. Thank you again to Dr. David Shulkin, Dr. Lewis Levy, Karen Davis, Colleen Curran, Mary Findlay, and Allison Fethke. For more of our insights around virtual healthcare, including the results of a recent survey on telehealth that we did with hospitals and physicians, please visit our website, www.alvarezandmarcel.com. I'm Peter Rabenowitz, and thank you again for listening to our program on telehealth and its impact on COVID-19.